0: Hashtag you don't have to be Jewish
1: So we're moving on Um I was talking about I did tell you that we're We're, we're going to be talking to uh, Ryan Blumenthal who This is his second book Um This one is Risking Life for Death Lessons for the Living from the Autopsy Table Forensic pathologist Ryan Blumenthal um, joining us today Ryan welcome So lovely having you on the show it's
0: An honor to be here
1: Are you Oh, you're a professor.
0: Correct. Yes.
1: I, I saw a prof, and I and I'm, I've got the book, and it, it didn't say professor. So I mean, we have to go to the prof. You know what I'm saying? You, not just anyone's made a professor, Ryan. <laughs> you. So, so you have been in the industry for over 20 years. You've been doing this. And on top of it all, you're a best-selling author. I mean, that's, that's, that's quite a lot that you've, that you've done. So let's talk about, let's talk about the, the first book, I mean, that you wrote. Was it, was it in nine, was it in 2021? And it, and it was a best-seller. Tell us about that.
0: Okay. So that was autopsy, life in the trenches with a forensic pathologist in Africa. And this was part autobiography, part memoir. Uh, if there's a difference between autobiography and memoir. And the reason I did it like that is because of the sensitivity of these cases. I I thought I would, if I'd written about my own life story, I would not get into too much trouble.
1: Wow, and a bestseller here in South Africa. And, you know, as you said in this book, your life turned around. All of a sudden, people wanted to speak to you. People wanted to connect with you. People wanted to write to you because we do have this kind of, I don't know if morbid is the right word, but there is this fascination, right, with dying, death, the mystery around death. Um, i mean we just have to look at these csi programs um investigating murders and crimes and i mean how popular these shows have been because there is this problem solving that's that's part of it and um and so your your life must have changed quite a bit from having this bestseller and and yet still continuing to do what you do was it was it a big change for you
0: well you know, meeting an author is quite disappointing. Firstly, you know, we never <laughs> as impressed in real life as in as on the pages. Um, I think Anthony Bourdain said, "You know, eating foie gras versus meeting the goose that produced the foie gras." Um, uh, something I like that. that. That's so, fabulous. Um, but yeah, it, it was life changing. Uh, I'm pleased that Autopsy resonated with so many people. Um, yeah, it, it really. You know, I had access to people that I would never normally have access to. And people were contacting me from all over the place. I think the youngest person to have claimed to have read my book was seven. Um I got a yeah, I got a, a photo from CMAX prison of a of an inmate in his handcuffs, in his orange uniform that sent me a selfie with my with my book. So that was quite mm-hmm. interesting. And it went mm-hmm. all over the world. So I was getting photos. From Marion Island, amongst seal colonies, with my book, um, so it, I'm pleased it resonated with so many people.
1: Yeah, so interesting. But listen, you have this this interesting history, and when I say history, not everyone can say that their grandmother was a butcher, um, right, Frida? Um, and that you, you have memories of her carrying a carcass on her back. I mean, honestly, not any, not just any, anyone can say that. And then, of course, your grandfather, who you didn't really get to know, was an, uh, an, an actuary. So you've got this combination, right? You've got this person who is, Able to cut open a carcass and you can be quite methodical about it. And then you've got the actuary, this brain, this working things out, looking for solutions, solving problems. And then boom, you arrive. And so then you go and you start studying medicine. And it's in fourth year medicine that you realize that you have got this, this fascination for pathology and for, for this kind of pathology. How, how did that happen? What, what was the shift in you?
0: Right. So yes, I'm a thinking man's butcher, just to give the, <laughs> the, the closer there too. But yeah, I'm the fused genetic material of actuary and one of the first female butchers in South Africa. And I think that was an unusual circumstance, which I mentioned in the beginning of my new book. And yeah, I've, you know, I, I think we, we've all got certain callings in life and I think this is where I fitted best. Um, You've already seen my bedside uh, manner, it's not the best in the world, so I think (laughs) best you keep me in the mortuary, away from everyone, and let me just do my work. So I think that's where I shine.
1: Wow. Hang on. Stay with us, we're going to take a quick break, and then let's get into the nitty gritty of... What it is to be a forensic pathologist.
0: IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life.
1: Thank you so much for staying with us. This is the DL Link Show. And, uh, I have such an interesting guest on the show today, Professor Ryan Blumenthal, who's a forensic pathologist and author. This is, he's just written his second book. Um, his second book being risking life for death lessons for the living from the autopsy table. So Ryan, you know, you gave us a bit of an outline of this family, this background, a little bit of about, about your genes and where you come from and um, studying medicine and then deciding you want to become a forensic pathologist. What does one need to become a forensic pathologist? What kind of training?
0: we have got very strict criteria in South Africa to become a forensic pathologist. There's the diploma of, you know, so you, after medicine, you can do the diploma in forensic medicine, and then there's the master's, and there's single exit exams. So. So after becoming a doctor, you've got to do your internship and community service and then specialize. So it's another four years.
1: Wow. So I myself
0: studied 23 years um, because I did a PhD after that. So I started in 93 and finished in 2015 with all my studies.
1: Sure. That is extraordinary. That's a long, long route. So you're pretty committed. Once you become this forensic pathologist, you certainly earned it. So so perhaps, Ryan, you can just tell us what, what, what a forensic pathologist does. Brooke,
0: let's begin that even the most primitive culture must want to know about the sudden unexpected death of one of its members. Because this could signify an enemy from within or without the tribe. So it's part of our DNA as humans to understand why humans die. Especially sudden unexplained deaths. And it also keeps countries civilized because, you know, people get murdered, there's accidents, there's suicides and people have so many questions and to get closure, it's an absolutely essential service to keep a country civilized is a forensic pathological, uh, forensic pathology service.
1: Mm. Mm. And, and, Wow, I, I, thank you. I, I love what you've just said, because also what came to mind was it, it means that we as a society care. We care.
0: Well, I mean, one, one can get philosophical about this. You know, we determine how death happens. We can't tell you why death happens. You know, if you want to know why, you'll have to talk to a psychologist or a psychiatrist. I can tell you how they died. Um, and I can tell you Everything about the death itself—the the, the cause, the manner, the the mechanism of death—but but as to how, uh, why, uh, that I cannot answer.
1: Mm. Is it is it a is it a lonely job being a forensic pathologist?
0: Well, my days are quite interesting. Most days are spent in the mortuary suite. Um, where I'm doing autopsies. We, we do about three to four autopsies per person per day here in South Africa. Some days I'm behind my microscope where I don't see a, another living human eye to eye. Some days I go to death scenes. Some days I'm on top of mountains because sometimes people like to hang themselves on top of mountains. Some days I'm in caves because people like to kill themselves in caves. Some days I'm at mass disasters because, um, you know, we need to be at mass disasters. And today I'm on high FM. So it's certainly, Keeps me on my toes to where I am in society.
1: Yeah. I mean just what you've said there, I mean each each statement is so difficult sometimes to listen to, right? I mean these are quite difficult things, a suicide here, a death there, a murder there. What kind of mindset does one have to have to approach this in a way where there is a sensitivity, as you've said, you know, people want to know how and people so that there can be closure. And so it, it sounds to me like you, 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 you approach it with a great deal of respect, you know, and this, and this empathy. And yet at the same time, you have to be very clinical and you have to be, you have to use the, the actuary part of you to solve the crime. Well, what kind of mindset do you need? Well, yeah.
0: Well, firstly, we need the right kind of people in the field. So, in South Africa, there's about seventy to eighty of us practicing. These are board-certified forensic pathologists, and you need someone with the right stuff. Because to be a forensic pathologist, you've got to have an insight into your community, your mores, your folk ways. You've got to have an understanding of bridge design, road traffic, um, you know, dynamics. You need an understanding of street lingo, gangs. So so we're like the final catch net for society to find out and answer the questions that what went wrong. We're the the final catch net. Hmm.
1: Do you remember your first case that you worked on when you became a forensic pathologist?
0: Yeah, so that is in my new book. It was actually look, in, in the beginning when you're a rookie, it seems like a mess. You don't know What's happening, it just seems like a mess. Um, but I'll, I'll never forget the case. It was a young woman who had recently gotten married and flown to Mauritius for a honeymoon. And then she suddenly and unexpectedly died at breakfast. And what made this case so memorable was that there was a medical convention at the time in Mauritius and no one could resuscitate her. And the autopsy was provisionally and originally done in Mauritius, and then the body was flown back to South Africa, and I attended the redo autopsy. That was my first autopsy I ever did. And the reason she died was a pulmonary embolism, a deep venous thrombosis, or pulmonary embolism. And the reason she died was, you know, she had just started oral contraceptive pills. She had flown to Mauritius, so she had what's known as economy class syndrome. And literally, while having breakfast amidst this medical convention, she died. And this case was so memorable to me because, firstly, she was a true beauty. Second of all, she was on her honeymoon. Thirdly, because this happened at a medical convention. Fourthly, an autopsy was done, and this was a redo autopsy. So there were so many factors to my young mind, and it was so overwhelming. Hmm. And I started asking questions, you know, what were the avoidable factors here? You know, and and I've, I've been fascinated by deep venous thrombosis, and pulmonary embolism ever since. In fact, now there's the latest diagnosis for your listeners is a new term called e-thrombosis. So you'll find that the latest journals talk about e-thrombosis. So these are people in the data management industry that sit for hours behind their computer coding. They're at high risk of developing pulmonary embolism and thrombosis. So to other fields such as long-haul truck drivers. And it can also happen in First class. So it can happen in economy class. However, it can also happen if you're flying in first class. So we're all at risk of deep venous thrombosis and pulmonary embolism. And that is my first case.
1: Wow, wow, wow. <laughs> just note to self. Keep moving, keep moving. We're going to take a very quick break, Ryan. And then I just want to carry on with this because, um, you know, it is your first case and, and, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get back to it. Stay with us.
0: Hi, FM, your station of choice since 2008.
1: Welcome back. I have uh, Professor Ryan Blumenthal on the show today, a forensic pathologist and author. We're talking about his new book, Risking Life for Death. Um, Ryan, you were talking about your first case, this young woman who had just got married and she... Um, she died um, in Mauritius on her honeymoon um, at this conference with all these doctors. Now, when by the time you did that autopsy, so the question is this. When, when, it, when there's a crime scene, you go and you look at the crime scene and you're looking at everything. Here you've got this woman's body and you perform this autopsy. Did they have any idea before the autopsy, before what had happened to her, or was it when, when you worked on her that you were able to identify it? In, in other words, how long did it take? Well, yeah, this was
0: over twenty years ago, so the some of the details are a little fuzzy. Yes. However, I mean the the philosophy here is, look, if we firstly we, we don't know if if it's a crime scene, we call it a death scene, because um you don't know if there's a crime that's been committed or not. So we go in with a totally open mind. It's a, it's a death scene, and then later it could turn out that this is actually a crime. So what makes the mindset of the forensic pathologist so unique? You know, what is easier, saying like, here's a puzzle, solve it, or not knowing that you're, that there's a puzzle there in the first place. So for example, someone could be presented to us as a, as a heart attack or as a pedestrian vehicle accident. And on the face of it, you can assume that this is a heart attack or pedestrian vehicle accident. You know, this could be a crafty murder. So we've always got to have a very high threshold of suspicion uh, when entering a case.
1: Right. Um, We've only got a few minutes left and I I don't want to give too much away with this book because you also talk a lot about this low cards exchange principle um, where someone comes into a crime scene with something and takes something away from that crime scene as well. And you cover that extensively in risking life or death. Um, Very quickly, Ryan, before we say goodbye, why do you think it's relevant for people to know this?
0: Right. So this new book, Risking Life for Death, is all about the epilogue. It's about me. It's about the reader. I strongly urge people to read this book. It is a totally different beast to autopsy. It's a bit more technical. However, it is a master class in low-cards exchange principle, which is the law of interchange. Every contact leaves a trace. And you'll see that we use it to catch murders. And I will show you and demonstrate at the end that you can use this in your own life to make you a happier person and provide you with a philosophy for growing old. And ultimately provide us forensic pathologists with less work.
1: Yeah, you see, you you never knew that from a forensic pathologist, you could get all of these incredible insights. Ryan, thank you so much. Listen, so interesting. I could, I could continue with this conversation. There's so much I want to ask, but let's leave it there. yeah, our audience hopefully will go out and, and get their hands on risking life or death. Lessons for the living from the autopsy table. And as um, Professor Ryan Blumenorthor said, there are lessons to be learned from this exchange low-cost, I think I pronounced it correctly, exchange principle. Ryan, thank you so much. It's been wonderful having you on the show.
0: Thank you very much.
1: I'm presuming that the book is available at all bookstores at the moment?
0: All good bookstores, and online, and on audio. Correct.
1: Say no more. Thank you so much. Great having you on the show, Professor Ryan Blumenthal, um, forensic pathologist and author of two books, and his latest book, "Risking Life for Death: Lessons for the Living from the Autopsy Table." Every contact leaves a trace. A single strand of hair or a tiny droplet of blood can be the silent witness. At a crime scene and there is this low cards exchange principle that uh, Professor Ryan Blumenthal talks about um and that you'll find extremely, extremely interesting. Listen, I hope you've enjoyed the show. As always, I've loved being with you. For me, Nikki Seberini, until next week. Remember charity, the dealing charity is coming up. It's going to be phenomenal, it's going to be marvelous. Remember, you can take part. So until next week, take care and goodbye.